You're listening to the Soul Strategies podcast hosted by the team here at Soul Strategies. We hope you like the latest episode and thanks for tuning in. For those who are tuning in, I am. Um, it is my honor to be joined here um, with Dylan Little. Um, today's going to be a very special podcast. So Dylan Little is a 22-year-old political candidate running for city council. Um, I want to give Dylan an opportunity to introduce himself in a moment here, but really for us, we wanted to take an opportunity to discuss, you know, Dylan's motivations for running, your plans for the city, perhaps, right, and how you plan on engaging and listening to the concerns of your constituents. So Dylan, please introduce yourself. Let, let everybody know who you are and what you're about. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm 22 years old. I'm running for Lawrenceburg City Council. Um, this actually isn't my first time around running for something. The first time that I ran, I was actually 19 years old. I started out running for mayor of Lawrenceburg when I was a senior in high school. Um, wasn't a successful bit, obviously, but kind of ran through, learned, learned a lot, made some really good connections um, to where it's kind of set me up for a good opportunity now to run for Lawrenceburg City Council. Um, to begin with, I mean, a lot for me, why I decided to run is on a local level, we don't really have anyone that is youthful in office. We have some really good representatives, yes, but I would like to kind of open up the arena for people in my age group to really um, be represented in their municipal government. Absolutely. I think that it's important that we like have people my age and your age and um, really all of those different ideas just coming in and making sure that we're able to have those conversations about how we can make our community more inclusive and 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 really for us to have you know the opportunity here at Soul Strategies to hear from a young and dynamic candidate like you, um, who is bringing that fresh perspective into the political scene is so important, right? Um, and I think especially for our audience, um, the people that we serve, uh, the clients, the constituents that we interact with. For us, it's about people having access to participate, right? So it doesn't matter if you're a resident or a student, right? Um, as you mentioned, you were a student when you ran for your first race, um, or simply just somebody who is more interested in politics because it's kind of all-encompassing, even if you don't want to, per se, deal with politics for the day, it is going to absolutely come across your phone or computer screen or TV screen at some point in the day. And so this episode is is a special episode. And I highly encourage our, our listeners to um, play the whole podcast through because I think there are a lot of things that we're going to touch on. And I know you briefly touched on, you know, who you were. You talked about your race um, before, your prior race. Um, but can you give us a little background about what's going on on the ground in Lawrenceburg, the political environment, um, what it looks like on the ground that would lead you as somebody who um, is barely old enough, you know, to be legal, um, uh, enter a bar, what would make you run for mayor and now city council in the same same place? So, I mean, for me, one of the biggest things that ultimately made me decide to run um, I, our community is probably right around 60% lower income. Um, we have a couple of manufacturing businesses within our community. One of them um, actually is the largest in our county. 
And they actually came to the city for a variance for zoning ordinances, those different types of things. Um, and the city actually turned them down. Um, and what had happened is in turn, the company actually ended up moving the jobs elsewhere. They kind of diminished those jobs and moved it um, over to Kentucky. Um, and I, I knew a mother that had worked there. So she gave me a call one evening and she actually was speaking to me because unfortunately she had lost her job. She's a single mom with two children. And that was kind of like the deciding factor because I told myself after 2019, I said, I'm, I, I'm done. I'm not running again. I would rather focus on school, this and that. Um, but just hearing her story, it, it really, really bothered me that now she's out of a job. She's a single mother, um, all of those different things. Locally in Lawrenceburg, we have really good opportunities. Unfortunately, there are some things that we kind of miss on, such as like affordable housing. We don't really have a lot of options for people that are struggling um, or anything for like senior living or anything else. Um, so th those are projects for me that are important. And those are things that I think that definitely need to be addressed. And those would be some of my top priorities if I won. Um, what I believe set me up for success, though, was just being out in the community. I volunteer. I um, work the movies in the parks that we have every Tuesday evening through the summers. What advice would you have to offer to a young person who, you know, may be experiencing some of the same things in their own community, community but they just are about if they can run for office or should they run for office like what would you say to that person that is kind of on the edge of I definitely want to serve my community and take my service a step further but I just don't know if right now or this race is appropriate for me to jump into honestly I think that you have to look at it from a perspective um kind of look back and see what's going on in your community um 99 of the time i'm going to say just jump into it um i know that's not the best advice but the thing is is whenever anyone gets involved in politics what experience do they really have most people come out of the workforce and run for local government um, your city council members or even sometimes your uh, congressional members uh, came from working within unions or being a carpenter or something of the sort and they aren't always familiar with writing legislation or um, the day-to-days of the infrastructure within a community but you get into the office and you start to learn and you're, you, you listen to your, the people within your community um, and kind of what they want. And I think that that'll give you a really good feeler about kind of how you're able to do it. I think the biggest thing is you just have to jump in. I know that sometimes um, yeah. myself included, you just overthink it. And absolutely. But but when we say jump in, I mean, truth be told, like that is very much like a blanket task. Right. Um, and I think what scares people from just jumping in, right, is that they don't know what's on the other side. They're always getting encouraged to step into a race or they have that passion to participate or a combination of both. Um, but like jumping in, just jump in. Right. Doesn't really give any insight into what's on the other side. So would you feel comfortable, you know, offering insight into what jumping in looks like? Like specifically what obstacles you might've faced 
you know, right after beginning your campaign journey and in the months following? Yeah, I mean, so some of the obstacles that I faced, obviously, um, I'm currently not an incumbent. Um, so you kind of face the stigma of, oh, wow, you're going to run against them. Um, yeah. Oh, and I have to stop you there because that one is, that comes up a lot, right? How do you respond to, oh, wow, you're running against the incumbent? Oh, wow, you're running against this person that's been in the office for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, five years, how do you typically respond to that type of engagement? And once I hear that, I take a look back, especially for people within my district, I have to, I expand for them. I say, what has been done within our community in the last four years? Um, what what changes has been made? And have you, here's the biggest one that I really get them with. Have you heard from him since the last time he came around to talk to you because he was running for re-election? So it's like, sometimes you have incumbents that work for it, yes. But oftentimes people will get in there and they just kind of get lazy in some terms. Yeah. Um, and I think and there's a, an assumption that their vote is guaranteed, right? Like if they've been in this district and they've you know, won the seat more than once, then that incumbent kind of gets comfortable, right? Like they think that they have it in the bag, so to speak. And those are the races where I think uh, first-time candidates, grassroots candidates, young candidates, um, non-traditional candidates in the fact that they're kind of everyday working class folks participating, those are the winnable races. Um, and so I, because I, I think that a lot of people are scared, right? Like, how do you convince people that I am the person that is qualified? And I always stay engaging in conversation, just like you, you, you know, mentioned your actual taglines, but really en engaging the voter in that way is the only way that I've seen, um, a newcomer grassroots candidate unseated incumbent. Like you have to be willing to get your message out to all those voters, but most importantly, to listen to them, right? And to kind of yeah. challenge um, challenge, challenge the, the status quo. Um, and it is difficult. I think it is very difficult, but what would you say are some, some other challenges you faced um, as a newcomer? Uh, well, going into that, that's exactly what it takes is meeting the voters where they are. Like that, that is so important to get your message out you have to make sure that you're meeting them where they are. Um, because while social media is great, I mean, you have to knock doors and you just have to meet them where they're at, at their doorstep. Um, but to answer your question, other challenges that I've had, fundraising. I mean, fundraising in a small race like mine can be very, very difficult. Um, I, I think that probably many candidates, I think, Oftentimes, that's what a lot of candidates' biggest challenges is. How do you get the funds to be competitive? Right. Um, right. And that competitive, like, when we say language, like, get the funds to be competitive, I think it sounds a lot more complicated and scary to a newcomer. Um, and getting funds to be competitive really should boil down with having good branding, good digital strategy, investing heavily in call time and using all the money you raise essentially to invest in that door-to-door -door canvassing operation. 
Um, I've not seen another philosophy that is effective at getting a, a newcomer in the office. But yeah, those the fundraising on on a local race is is especially is especially hard because you don't have the same. Obviously, you don't have the same number of people to fundraise from, but the issues are personal and limited, right? Um, but I always tell candidates like that really does offer an opportunity for you to build so many, so much more meaningful connections in a local race, uh, because they are personal issues. Um, relationship be building being a cornerstone of fundraising, focusing on building those relationships. And the only way you can build real relationships is on your voice or in, right? I mean, so getting on the phone and also being unafraid to um, meet the voter at their door is the only way that you as a newcomer are going to be effective. I, I try to impress that on the candidates as much as possible because it just is the reality. Yeah, it really is. I mean, especially with people coming in that are new, um, if if you've moved into a community and you don't have like let's say name recognition or other things, um, again, just meeting voters where they are that is it's so important because once you sit down and you're having a conversation with someone, um, whether it be over the phone on a call time or whether it be at their door knocking doors, you're able to sit down and hear their concerns about what's going on in the community. I could like, for instance, one of the biggest issues in our community right now is our local city about five years ago invested in fiber and brought in um, fiber for the whole community. Um, and about two, about two and a half weeks ago, the mayor and the current city council decided to sell the fiber we invested $10 million in it. We sold it for $3 million. So we took a $7 million loss. Oh. And how I know that's one of the biggest issues that's going on with our community is I've been speaking with people, whether it be at their door or I've had people reach out to me on uh, Messenger, text or whatever. And it, like you find out more and more about those issues, the more that you're able to meet voters and have those conversations with them. Absolutely. And I, I, I do want to take a moment to um, really talk about the weight of those roles and responsibilities in those local level races, because, I mean, when we talk about the cumulative effects of financial mismanagement on a local level, right, like most cities can kind of handle one seven million dollar loss. But the problem is that cities have chronic mismanagement of their funds and the body that has oversight over that is their city council agency, right? Typically the mayor is going to propose a budget budget and the city council will approve it. And when you think about the, the ability for you as a young person to realistically be a part of managing several million dollars of a city's budget, does that make you nervous, Dylan? Does that give you pause a little bit, right? That the, the, the job might be a little bit too much for somebody at your age. Or what would you say to somebody who was kind of telling you you're not experienced enough to take on the challenge of of manage of, of approving a city's budget? Yeah, and I mean that's a conversation that has came up uh, for me personally. Um, I don't flinch at that. I work in a law firm. I uh, handle bankruptcy. I create budgets for people all the time. We do some business bankruptcy. So I've created budgets for multi-million dollar businesses. So for me, it doesn't really 
um, make me flinch as much, but it is something that we have, we have to address. Um, I think that for young people, when they hear that question, they kind of pause, but we have to think about it. Um, even at 19, 20, 21, 22, we have to make our own budgets all the time, whether we're going to college um, and we have to manage our money and work our way through school yeah. or whether fresh out of high school. And <laughs> you don't, you, I mean, don't and you don't get it at first, but then it hits you fast, right? Like, as soon as yeah, you, it, I mean, obviously it's not the same level of money. It's millions of dollars compared to 300 $500 that you make in a paycheck or something, but you manage your money. You have, um, you have that experience in managing money. Um, and I, I, either way, I think that that resonates even looking at a municipal budget. Absolutely. I, I 110% agree now because I think that there was so much work. Well, I know there was so much work done um, to really rally Gen Z. Um, and there was a lot of effort and time and money spent to coalition build within kind of that, that younger cohort of, of voters. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, y'all were a very important part of holding off, um, I think, the expected red wave. Um, however, so, so Gen Z is voting paying attention but what do you think are kind of some of the main ch challenges to getting gen z activated from the standpoint of just being a voter to now participating further in the political process by not only voting but potentially campaigning or working for campaigns or um you know be, being political staffers like how do we engage uh, people 25 and under in the political space to get them involved um, in the political process early on um, so that they can come up with long-term solutions to some of our, our our country, cities, cities, countries, states, and world's biggest challenges. That is not in the order, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's such a difficult question, but it's something that really affects us right now. And it's something that um, I've been working to do. For instance, one of the one of the people that I have working on my campaign, he's actually a freshman in high school. Um, obviously, he's not able to vote, but he's engaged in local politics. He uh, actually is the uh, student council president for the local high school. Um, I think that we start looking in those places and we pull those people in because we know that they already have interest in um, representing their student body or their local community, per se, through the schools um, and make sure that they don't get alienated between the time that they graduate to the time that they're like able to become a voter. Um, I, we have to meet them again. We have to meet them where they are. I think that's so important. The person, the person that I have helping me, he's excited to start knocking doors, all of those different things. And we bring those people in, um, whether they have experience or not working on a campaign, and we kind of help them. We get their feet on the ground and um, they build a love for community and all of those different things to get more involved. I think that's one of the most important things is making sure um, that we're meeting them where they're at and bringing them in to get them involved. Um, another thing that I've done is my, my friends that I follow me on social media, 
um, with me being younger, obviously 22, they were excited once they found out that I was deciding to run for city council and just being that one person for them to kind of step into the realm of knocking doors um, and, and, and into the political life. That's mm -hmm. big for, well, like, um, because a lot of, like a lot of people our age don't really think about it. And then once they start doing it, they, they start to enjoy it. And it's something that they really, really, really like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that offers us a nice segue into focusing on some of the specific issues, um, that you and your campaign want to address. Um, because I do think that that us talking about your candidacy as it relates to Lawrenceburg could serve and will serve as a model to other young folk um, who want to get involved on that local level in a campaign. So um, when you were going through the process of building your campaign messaging and building your platform, uh, what specific issues did you decide on to, uh, wanted to address? Did you go about um, deciding on which issues were appropriate to focus on um, seat in which you were running, your city council seat? Yeah, so, I mean, I, for me, I selected right around five of the major issues that we have. Um, I don't want to say issues, but five of the things that I really wanted to address once elected. Um, obviously, one was jobs. Um, for me, that was priority number one. For instance, in Lawrenceburg, um, obviously not everyone will be too familiar with this, but we were supposed to have the fourth port of Indiana be located in Lawrenceburg. Uh, we developed a port authority. We had land right along the riverfront. What it is is where barges kind of bring in coal and other things, um, other resources, um, and it was supposed to be a huge economic factor for years to come in our community. Um, our current administration got in there. They didn't want to clean up um, the area where that was supposed to be developed at because of previous previously there was a coal plant there um, and there's a bunch of fly ash contamination. And one of the stipulations was that it would need to be cleaned up by the city since it's now city owned property. Um, and they decided that they didn't want to. Um, and unfortunately, since they did that, we lost out on this huge, huge opportunity for us that like the state of Indiana was talking about it, it bringing in over $7 billion a year. Um, it, it just would have been crazy. Um, and then we also ended up losing out on a, the cancer center. It moved to another community. Um, and our local hospital is actually now moving out of Lawrenceburg as well and moving into another city. Um, so for me, the biggest thing was jobs um, because all of these moves and out of our city, um, it's going to affect people. And when we live in a community that is already 60% um and poverty uh that's something that we have to address the local economy is it's huge um so that was one of them for me the other one is is um again if you live in indiana and you're familiar with this is indiana is only one of seven states where we still have textbooks fees um and so education was huge 
Um, fortunately, our high school is very, very great. And we have an amazing superintendent that is able to um, budget money appropriately and make sure that everything is good. Um, but the city of Lawrenceburg is implementing TIF districts in so many different areas. And while TIF districts they're actually called tax increment districts. Um, it's tax increment financing, but it selects these properties and it keeps the tax income that goes to the school at that base level. And then anything that is increased above that level is then sucked back into the city for the city to use for redevelopment or whatever other purposes. Um, and it's taking funds away from the school. Um, that was a big thing for me that I really wanted to address as well, because when we have different fees for whether it be early college or whatever other programs that we have going on, we need to make sure that our education is top notch. Um, and in the past, the city has funded 300 and something thousand dollars to the school um, to help with textbook fees and these different things. Um, we have to make sure that the need for education is being addressed. Um, and for me coming out of high school four years, well, three, yeah, three years ago, it's important to me because those teachers were part of my everyday life. Um, they helped me with a lot of different things and, uh, they just, they deserve so much more than what they get. Obviously at a local level, you can't make a huge impact in their, in their lives, but, um, we can do things that make our education better at a local level by obviously not in tons of ta uh, TIF districts and taking those funds away. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is when you select like what you're running on, it has to be things that resonate in your community. Um, and it has to be like, valid to the point and you have to be able to come up with a solution of what you would do differently um absolutely and so it's because there and, and i do want to make sure i mean because that we emphasize the, the fact that right they're going to be under a right in your district community whatever level you're on um but then there are going to be the most important issues that you want to elevate um, within your platform. And they have to speak to you as they can to you, uh, to the community's needs as well. And so, I mean, being able to balance kind of prioritize how the, how to speak to your story and your narrative and being able to speak to them from a place of I think compassion, right, and real connection, like speaking to your story, being unafraid to speak about your story and how your story drives your campaign is is the passion that people get behind, right? Like that is how you momentum build because people can tell that there is passion, that there's order, and, and that your campaign really serves as an opportunity uh, to invest in uh, what is possible, right? And to invest in kind of um, not even particularly, you know, a, a progressive future per se, but to in, invest in a future that is more, more collaborative, um, where decisions that are made are at the, at the top, um, that work their way all the way down, have representation from people who were 
you know, all the way down the ladder. Um, and, and that the issues really are important for the time that voters are experiencing as well. Um, so, I, I mean, for you, like, I, I know that, you know, in Indiana, there are a lot of challenges. And, and again, the role of city of a city council legislator doesn't mean that you have, um, as you mentioned, like, you know, you can wave a magic wand and, and bring forward those fundamental changes that we want to see. But make no mistake, holding the position and being a part of those robust conversations about how we change, when we change, where we change and what the change looks like um, is so important. Um, so, so I really do applaud you for dedicating the work uh, necessary to build a, a platform that resonates with constituents. Um, and so, I mean, the most important thing too is getting getting that 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 message and getting your platform out to all of your voters. So, um, I know we talked a little bit about your plan plan door knocking, but um, what other methods are you using um, to engage and listen to the concerns of your constituents in your district? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for me, I as soon as I announced that I was running, I sent out mailers um, to every single person that lives in my district, whether it be um, whether they're a registered voter or registered Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. Um, I sent out a, I sent out mailers to them. Um, one to introduce myself to people that I don't know, um, two for advertisement and three to get them the information about my platform, um, to let them know that I'm running on things like I want to bring more jobs into the community. I want to make sure, um, that unions are strong here and that we have childcare that's affordable for people as well as affordable housing. Like I made sure that they knew that those were priorities for me and our community, um, and, and that I sent out like a business card, I sent out, um, a calendar magnet, different advertising things for people to like put on their fridge and be like, Oh, Hey, I remember that guy. He sent me this. Um, I've always been told that the most effective way is one meeting people at their doors, phone banking mailers. And then the other way that I've been meeting with people is I have some advertising going on with some of the local media. Um, we have a local small town radio station um, called Eagle Country 99.3, who I have a contract with, and we actually have planned coordination for um, getting out the word about our campaign, whether it be through social media posts on their end. Um, I'm actually even going in tomorrow to meet with them to do a recording that'll go on um, throughout the day on air. Um, as well as even with our local newspaper, a lot of people still get the newspaper, believe it or not. I know that a lot of us still get our, like we get our information on social media, but a lot of people still get the local newspaper to read in there. Absolutely. On. Especially, you know, uh, depending on the, the demographic to reach there, there are definitely people that you can reach and should be reaching uh, via mail and, and, and newspaper, depending on your race. Um, I also, you know, want to make sure that we, I, I would be uh, a bad fundraising director if I didn't mention the importance of call time as well and, and, and that and engagement with, with your, your voting base, um, because you get on the phone, thank, thank goodness we don't live in a world of, 
uh, phone minutes anymore, but definitely want to uh, make sure that we emphasize the importance of call time because in those local races, really being able to say, hey, I'm the candidate, John Doe, that called you two weeks ago before you door knock or before you engage them in another way is so important. And then call time is absolutely essential to your fundraising efforts. Um, it can get very, it will be very expensive um, to get that coordinated canvassing operation on the ground. And so you want to make sure that you are constantly dialing for dollars so that you can pay for every aspect of campaign that you need. Because I always tell candidates that if you know your digital strategy isn't as effective, then you your campaign is not, you, you can't, you know, if, if one leg of, or one aspect of your campaign is not effective, your campaign can't operate to its fullest extent. And so if digital is lacking, then that's a problem. If if our canvassing operations are lacking, then that is a problem. That means we can't get out a message out. If we don't have call time, that means we're not constantly bringing money and support into the campaign to reach our goals and reach our constituents. So making sure that you have, you know, all those fundamental um plans in place operations in place so that you can get your message out to your win number it should always be the candidates kind of overarching priority but i think their day-to-day -day has to be centered around fundraising um and every every candidate is going to have their own camp cam, uh, you know campaign style that no no two campaigns are unique um and so really building a campaign plan that speaks to your voters and um, kind of responds to the need uh, that you have in your race is so important. And every candidate too brings their own personality. They have their own personal story that impacts their day-to-day -day campaign grind. Uh, and they they will put they and they sh they should put their own spin on your 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 ca your campaign. Dylan will not look the same, right? Um, as anybody else's city council campaign and so making sure that you can kind of market your differences as well is important um how, how would you say dylan your like personal story has impacted your campaign grind your campaign kind of mantra and day-to-day -day activities so i I was born into a family. Um, unfortunately, both of my parents struggled with addiction. So I was, I was raised by my grandparents. Um, and now I'm raising my two younger brothers again, in the same situation. Our parents have addiction issues. And unfortunately, um, we're in the position where we are. And that has been my grind. And that has kind of been like what has led me to be so personal about the childcare issues and our education issues and our housing um, because where I'm at today, unless I had some of those options available to me, um, it's, it's so important to me because of what I went through and the experiences that I had, that those are some of the issues that need to be addressed. Um, I think that those issues alone um, impacted my campaign because for the longest time, I mean, again, kind of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, having the confidence to step up and just put your name on the ballot. That's the first thing. Um, and there was just so much that happened there that was 
very, very fortunate that I was able to like kind of get through it all. And it kind of made my story for me. Um, I would say like the biggest thing is your campaign has to be true to who you are. Um, and your message has to be true to you. Um, because when you get into these things, like you're going to have people that question you, you're going to have people that don't always agree with you. Um, but as long as you know that you're true to yourself and what you stand for, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. I, I surely second that. Um, and and I, I do want to take a moment to thank you for your willingness to, I think, share your lived experience and incorporate that into who you are as a candidate and what your campaign stands for. Because I know a lot of candidates have fear um, around uh, sharing their authentic story. And so how did you come overcome some of that fear around of, of judgment of people knowing kind of some of the most personal details of your life and then moving to a place of willingness to share that as part of what drives your campaign? What was that process like for you? What I had to sit down and accept is people were going to know about my family one way or another. Um, unfortunately, when we get into politics, unfortunately, sometimes it can be, it can be dirty. Um, and I addressed that with myself very, very early on. It was something that I heard when I ran for mayor in 2019. But the biggest thing is, is I know like the difference between me and my parents. Like I am not addicted and I'm not using, um, I am who I am and they are who they are. Um, and I had to accept very, very early on that everyone is vulnerable um, in one way or another. And my vulnerability obviously had to do with my story. Um, and being able to address that early and upfront, I think was super important and making sure that like, yeah, this was part of my life, but it's not what defines me. Um, yeah. And kind of from there. And I, I, again, thank you for kind of sharing um, kind of those internal thought processes, because I know that folks that are listening are the first time candidates that might come across this or folks who might be kind of in that, I don't know if I should jump phase of campaigning or, are going to be kind of having to reconcile, um, you, you know, their own personal story being out there. Reconcile, reconcile the experience of having to come to terms with their own personal story and being able to share that. So again, thank you for offering offering kind of that insight into your mind. I wanted to talk now because I, I, I do think it, it helps kind of bring us full circle um, to talk about, I, I think the non-traditional nature of your races, typically, you know, people would run for city council first and then for mayor or run for a legislative position and then transfer into the executive branch. Um, because they do have very different responsibilities and roles. And um, I think that the candidate philosophies are very different of a mayor versus a, a, a city legislator. So how would, how are you, how is your perspective on a governance kind of transition as you have kind of, yeah, as you have trans, transformed it or transitioned into a legislative candidate versus an executive candidate? I would say the biggest thing is 
You know, honestly, for me, when you're the mayor, you're kind of like the day-to-day -day person. You run everything. Um, you kind of run the day-to-day -day functions of the local community. Um, you're the face of the city compared to being a city council member, um, kind of where you make some of the legislative decisions about um, updating the ordinances or adopting the budget, um, something of those sort. I think that it's important to know that like, even when you're running for city council, you can't do it all on your own. Um, obviously your one vote of however many council members are going to sit on that board, um, which is something that I know. So, you know, like when you're running for city council or when you're running for a legislative position, you have to be willing to compromise and work with people to make sure that you're getting things done for your community. You don't want to have someone on there always just voting every single thing down um, and not being willing to compromise at all. I think that that is very important that like I know that there'll be times where I have to compromise in order to get the best outcome for the community um, compared to with being the mayor, you're able to veto certain things. Um, you're able to go through and kind of like at first you create the budget. Um, obviously, council can make some amendments and things like that once they review it. Um, but you kind of run the day to day of things compared to city council. You're not so much running the day to day of all of the operations. Absolutely. And I, I always tell candidates, um, when we work with them, we want to run a winnable race. Right. And so really understanding the roles and responsibilities and duties of executive versus a legislative position are so important to building a campaign that responds effectively to um, the needs of the community. Um, so thank you for, for letting me throw that, that, that question at you without any prior notice, um, but I think it's important. Um, and so, you know, as we kind of round out our conversation here, which I, again, want to thank you so much for um, your time and thoughtful consideration of response. You know, I am I am the fundraising director here. What your fundraising operation looks like, um, and can you speak to the importance of call time as it pertains to your campaign, um, and kind of your strategy moving forward from here through election day to, to get you in office? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for me, I know how important fundraising can be. Um, what I started out doing myself, um, I knew that I was going to run a couple months ago and I sat down and I created a list. The first list that I created was people that I knew, intermediate family, close friends, relatives, cousins, all of those different things. Um, that's where I started to reach out first for fundraising. Um, make sure that you meet those contacts and kind of meet them where they are, phone calls, conversations, whatever, um, because they love you, one, so they're going to support you no matter what you do. Um, and then kind of going from there, um, I then created a list. I, I met with local, uh, local, like, local elected officials and I met with party leaders throughout the state um, and I started creating my own data and my own spreadsheets and stuff like that to start focusing on different people of who I'd want to speak to about fundraising um, and for me personally I set aside typically 
I like to make a game out of it because I, I, I know for a lot of people fundraising, you don't like calling, asking for money. I get that. I really do. Um, but I've made a game out of it. I set a goal for myself every month of the amount of money that I want to fundraise. And I go to the office that we have and I sit there and I'll make my call time, whether it be during my lunchtime or whether it's when I get home from work, um, something of the sort. It's so important because going back again to the beginning of our conversations, you can't send mailers without being able to buy postage and envelopes. Um, you have to have a good fundraising strategy in order to, I don't want to say be successful, but you have to have a good fundraising strategy in order to run a campaign the most efficient way yeah. to reach as, as possible. Because it's about getting out the message, right? And I'm sorry to cut you off, but those stamps do get expensive, like they're 50 cent a piece. So think about the cost of sending out, you know, a thousand mailers for a grassroots campaign. The stamps alone will cost 500, right? Exactly. Um, asking folks within your personal network to help support some of those expenses, directly sharing with them, you know, kind of where that money is going to go and what you're fundraising for, because a lot of people don't have that understanding of what campaigns spend money on. Um, it's so important. And I love that you make a game out of call time too, like that you, and that you find any kind of moment throughout your day to incorporate it in what, into what you do. Yeah. I, it's, I know how important it is. The other thing is, is like, make sure that you, uh, one of the issues that I've, that I've ran into and that I know that other candidates have is sometimes they're worried about reaching out to unions. Um, if you're a Democrat candidate, always 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 reach out to unions um they know that we stand for making sure that people have good wages um good pto time and the, all of those different things um i've had unions that are 35 miles away from my house donate to our campaign reach out to them share with them your platform because the chances are that one of the businesses they represent still do work within your community. Always, always, always reach out to unions um, and making sure that you're making those connections with people. Because the other thing is, is if someone's going to invest and donate to your race, then you know that they're invested in your campaign. Um, and I don't wanna say that means that they'll vote for you, but I don't think that somebody's gonna give you money and not vote for you. Absolutely. It, it kind of is a guarantee, <laughs> at least if they're eligible to vote in your race. Um, thank you so much again, Dylan, for your time and insight. Um, and I do want to take the moment to tell all of our listeners, anybody who may be coming across um, this podcast, um, to check out your campaign website. We have Dylan Little here, a candidate for Lawrenceburg City Council District 2. Um, one of our leaders of today, young man, getting ready to take on the helm of, of leadership. Um, and I am excited to see your campaign be successful. Um, we need young folks like you participating, not only at the voting box, but campaigning as well um, and being a part of our government's complex, complex uh, <laughs> operations at all levels. And so I do appreciate you for, you know, throwing your hat in and really committing yourself to um, a successful grassroots candidacy. 
Um, y'all check out Dylan's page. It's www.dylanlittle.com. And of course, we have talked about donations and support and how essential they are to campaign. So please, please do support his campaign today. He is here to rebuild, restore, and deliver out in Lawrenceburg on the city council. And any support would much be appreciated. Um, and thank you all. Uh, if you or anyone you know are interested in running for office, but you don't have any idea on where to start, or you've already started campaigning and you've hit a snag and you just need somebody to come in, a team of dedicated campaigners, qualified organizers um, to come in and support your campaign, please reach out to us. We are always happy to chat and we look forward to being in touch soon, y'all.